Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. With working from home and trying to stay in touch with friends and family, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to always be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset. That's when you reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. My moment to chill is watching baseball, especially when the White Sox are on. I like to have a Coors Light beside me. It's a great beer to have watching the games as it's cool and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. And even the mountains on my cans turn blue telling me that it's time to hit reset. Sit back, relax, and hunker down for an evening of White Sox baseball. So when it's time for you to unwind, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. When you rely on the internet for everything, you need speed that can handle anything. And now, Xfinity delivers Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. Check out our amazing offers on internet and learn about the latest breakthrough from Xfinity. Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. That's more than enough speed to power all your devices and then some. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Gig Wi-Fi requires gig speed and compatible x gateway. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to Sox Machine Live. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, as it's Wednesday night, April 10th, 2019. And again, this is the Sox Machine Live. This is the podcast during the midweek as we recap the Chicago White Sox first homestand of 2019 in six games at home, the Chicago White Sox won one game, the home opener. The White Sox are currently 3-8, and eight, losing five straight games as Seattle and Tampa made it look really easy pummeling the White Sox. We'll touch on what's going wrong in the first 11 games of 2019 and look ahead to this weekend as it doesn't get any easier for the Chicago White Sox as they head on the road to the Bronx to face the New York Yankees. Joining me is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com and the co-host of the podcast, it's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. What a homestand by the White Sox. Is this what you were expecting for a start in 2019? Um, Not this bad. I could see it being uh, fairly bad uh, because it's not a good team. And especially early, the White Sox are, yeah, I, Tampa looked superior to the White Sox on paper. Uh, Cleveland look, looks mm-hmm. superior to the White Sox on paper. The Mariners, not really, but the way they're hitting the ball uh, against anybody, especially lesser pitching staffs, you know, it's not surprising what they've done in the context of the early season so far. I didn't expect, I guess, this string of such awful starting pitching, uh, six consecutive terrible starts. 
Um, yeah, you usually get one okay one in there, you know, like a quality starter, close to quality, like even rising to the level of mediocre. <laughs> the White Sox rotation hasn't even had that. So that I think is surprising. Um, the overall record, I think, is more or less what you'd expect from a team that's kind of under-talented so far. Yeah, and, you know... Or untalented. <laughs> well, I mean, there is some talent. Yeah. We are seeing some good performances. But, yeah, overall, I mean, the Chicago White Sox are 3-8. and eight. Uh, They're a half game ahead of Kansas City, who's battling Seattle. And Seattle, I mean, the pace that they're on is just fascinating and amazing. But after 11 games, the White Sox have scored 50 runs. And I think, okay, that's pretty much on par. But they're allowing... Seven runs per game right now. They have allowed 77 runs. So after 11 games, the run differential for the White Sox is already negative 27, Jim. Yeah. <laughs> and the six-game homestand is a repeat of last year. So we're not really seeing a whole lot of progress going to 2019, at least at the very beginning. We'll talk about the good news in a moment as far as what's working for the White Sox. But, you know, after before the end of this homestand, so after Tuesday's game, uh, Rick Renteria spoke with the media because the media is obviously asking a lot of questions, especially what's going on with the starting pitching staff and the, you know, the issues coming out of the bullpen. And Renteria said, at some point, we have to look ourselves in the mirror and be accountable to our actions or lack of whether they are positive or negative. And he was saying that in relation to the pitching staff I think you could say that to a lot of areas of the Chicago White Sox right now. Uh, and then during the broadcast on Wednesday, Chuck Garfine of NBC Sports Chicago uh, mentioned that Jose Abreu spoke with his teammates after Tuesday's game in the clubhouse. So strong words early from the White Sox leaders. And then on Wednesday, Jim, they proceed to lose 9-1. to <laughs> So obviously, yep. you know, the, these messages are not exactly working. And after the game, Caleb Frere was optioned back to Charlotte, even though I thought he was out pitching or at least pitching better than Jace Fry. But it got me thinking, Jim, is this the only way when it comes to accountability in the clubhouse that the White Sox can start holding players accountable is the fear of being sent to Charlotte. If you're not performing well, we're going to option you back to Charlotte and we're going to start this revolving door with a 25-man roster. Because if it is, there are going to be a lot of players, Jim, moving back and forth. Yeah, I, I guess when you mentioned accountability, it's it's uh, you know it, it's a word that I think can be really stretched beyond reason when it comes to a team that could be this bad. And I, I don't think the White Sox are this bad. I think there are some things that have happened to them that uh, you, you, know, you might see over the course of a season. You know, six bad starts in a row. Palka being hitless for so long. Jace Fry being you know awful, and, and the bullpen not really you know struggling elsewhere. You might see that happen over the course of a week. They might have a terrible week or two, you know, somewhere along the line. But right now, this week basically is represents the entire sample that they have. And so we just see, like, this could be just a terrible team. And, and the run prevention looked iffy from the start and even entering the season. So that, you know, it's as bad as they are and they're allowing seven runs a game. You know, that might be within the within reason about just how bad they are. And, and I think, you know, accountability just, you know, is it, you know, are, are players being held accountable because they're not good? You know, it's kind of, you know, I guess how I look at it, it's just like it's, 
you know, they're, I think players are accountable and responsible for the talent level, but if they're just not good, then that's really more of a failing of the front office. And you can keep, you know, switching these players back and forth as much as you want, but that just adds the mm-hmm. desperation and uncertainty that, uh, you know, building such a flawed roster and, and not really investing in the product in the off season, uh, generates. And, and that's why, you know, when I wrote about it in the off season, I just wrote about it yesterday, uh, or, or, this morning rather that uh with Renteria just you know puts him in a terrible position where he just has to keep trying to coax wins out of a roster that's largely unchanged and uh it was an unacceptable roster last year in terms of you know being uh postseason contenders and I know the White Sox aren't really thinking they are or can be but you know in terms of the day-to-day goal of winning the game you know it's still the same roster that wasn't good enough last year and they take it back out there and and expect to be better but uh can they be you know especially with Eloy taking his his rookie lumps right now and uh you know Mankad and Anderson still you know wobbly uh, or at least you know not yet proven even though they've had encouraging starts um you know the roster just isn't really yet better than it was last year and last year they proved that they were uh inadequate when it comes to winning more games than they lose so it's just uh you know it seems like accountability really extends the front office and then you just have a bunch of guys who are trying the best they can what do you think is the season in that the white Sox had the most runs allowed in their history Hmm. see my first thinking was 1998 because they could not pitch that year but in 1934 in 153 games the white Sox allowed 946 runs i bring this up because if the white Sox continue to allow seven runs per game they will allow 1,134 runs, which would... And weather hasn't even warmed up yet. Shatter. Shatter the club record. 946 over 153 games is 6.18 runs allowed per game. So uh, they got some they got some room to work there uh, as far as being able to reduce it. But for those that are our age, the 1998 Chicago White Sox and 163 games allowed 931 runs. Mm-hmm. So That sounds about right. 5.7 runs per game. So it should even out. We should start seeing better pitching, and it will level off. And who knows? Maybe in a couple of weeks we're talking about how great the pitching is, but that's not what we're talking about at the moment. And there's a lot of fans, especially online, Jim, that are starting to get a little chatty about Don Cooper. And speaking of accountability, okay, if you're going to look at the players and you want to hold them accountable for their performance, well, what about yourselves? Because the fans are starting to make some noise about Cooper on why he gets to avoid criticism. And I agree with them, Jim. Coop's magic isn't working, and I worry if his techniques and messages have gotten stale. The starting pitching ERA after 11 games is 7.76, which is horrible. It's the second worst in Major League Baseball. Only the Boston Red Sox, shockingly, have a worse starting pitching performance at the moment. And the bullpen is around 5.95. They ended up giving up a run at the end of the game, uh, which is better, but still not great. So, you know, what happened to the days of White Sox pitchers being consistent and at times overachieving? And has the magic with Don Cooper been lost? It seems like it. Um, yeah, it seems like the uh, a, a lot of other teams, the Twins, I think, are the recent example of, of teams that have really used 
analytics college based instructing. They really overhaul their coaching staff and the way they approach uh, developing pitchers and crafting arsenals for their pitchers and their strikeout rate. Uh, and it, it's really hard to imagine the twins, you know, the same twins organization that employed Ron Gardenhire and Terry Ryan for so long and pitched a contact with, with Rick Anderson. Now just, you know, leading uh, the league in, in strikeout rates from their bullpen and, uh, it seems like the White Sox are missing out on that a little bit. And, uh, you know, we, we saw, uh, you know, Carson Fulmer, just the way they've, they, they groomed him. And, and, you know, Chris Sale, I guess, was their draft pick. And, and, and I think Len gave a lot of people the benefit of the doubt or, or the gain benefit of the doubt with a lot of evaluators in terms of, you know, that they can take a pitcher with unusual mechanics or uh, arsenal that doesn't look great and craft them to be better. And then we saw him with pick Tyler Danish in the second round. That didn't work. We saw him pick Carson Fulmer, try to make him starter. That hasn't worked. And, and now he had to go to driveline to try to reclaim his arsenal. So uh, I, I guess the one thing that, you know, even when the, I guess the, the assembly line slowed down and pitchers weren't uh, succeeding in the starting rotation like they used to, at least you could say that the White Sox avoided major injuries, but with uh, Michael Kopech uh, getting Tommy John surgery and Dane Dunning Tommy John surgery and Carlos Rodon shoulder surgery, it's uh, you know even then their health record isn't that great for starting pitching. So yeah, it does seem like uh, it would be worth evaluating it, and I think part of it is you know the White Sox aren't good at evaluating talent, and you haven't seen pitchers leave the White Sox and be a lot better elsewhere. So there's that. Um, you know, so I, I imagine Cooper's not getting the best to work with, but at the same time, you know, the talent that he has is not really coming together. And it seems like, uh, you know, in other organizations that have had, you know, six straight years of losing, and this is going to be a seventh, he would be under evaluation like anybody else. But because the White Sox don't fire people, it's really just something to, it's only a theoretical exercise for us. I can't believe you're already assuming, Jim. <laughs> this will be the seventh straight losing season. I'm sorry. I can't say that with a straight face. Uh, on the topic of the Twins, uh, to back up your point, the Twins team ERA as a tire pitching staff is 3.83 after nine games. And that covers 80 innings. So, yeah, they're looking pretty good out of the gate. Uh, I'm looking at their techniques. strikeout totals. Yeah, they got 79 strikeouts as a staff over 80 innings. So uh, it's a lot better. It's a lot better. Yeah, especially their a- bullpen. Their bullpen yeah, has been striking out guys. Yeah, this was a team that did not believe in strikeouts not that long ago. Uh, but they're, they've are they changed their methods. They're trying something new. Uh, and so far, early on, it, it's working. Let me throw this hypothetical out there. Let's say Rick Renteria is fed up with Don Cooper and he's not getting the results. Do you think Rick Renteria has the power to fire Don Cooper? I don't think so, since, since he didn't have the power to pick his own pitching coach. It really seems like Cooper is ingrained in the front office and ingrained, I guess, in the overall development and recruitment of pitchers. And so it seems like, you know, and, and it worked out pretty well for a very long time, you know, that that arrangement and, and having, uh, I guess, an entire line of pitching coaches that uh, that delivered his message and handed it down and, and really uh had a system, you know, and they, and they use that idea of a top-down system for their hitting side with Todd Steverson. That really hasn't worked out nearly as well as the pitching side, but it, it seemed to be, uh, I guess their entire approach to pitching uh, from all levels was determined by Don Cooper. So it seems like, you know, Renteria wouldn't have the choice. And I think it would be something that would have to be 
you know, heavily considered, um, you know, not something that can be done with a whim, like Renteria firing somebody and, and uh, just wanting to get a different message across for the next three months. I think it would be, have to be something that would have to be overhauled, um, not just, you know, swap out a pitching coach and say, um, you know, it, it's, uh, you know, patching something in the major league level. I think it would be something to be more considered. So I think it's a discussion to have after the season, maybe not in season, but uh, yeah, I mean, if this continues through the end of the year, I don't, I guess, I mean, I know how Cooper makes it through the season, makes it in the next year, but I, I don't know how it's so easily defended or a given. Right. Uh, and let's talk about that, right? Because obviously this is the White Sox. And I'm sure Don Cooper will be the pitching coach for the next decade, because as you mentioned, Jim, nobody gets fired. Nobody seems to lose their job except for bizarre situations like Mark Parent being let go uh, as the bench coach. And I don't know. I still don't understand the whole background. I forgot. I mean, that just seems like a lifetime ago when we were talking about Mark Parent. But, you know, with Don Cooper, okay, you got Carlos Rodon, you got Lucas Gilito, and you got Ronaldo Lopez. You got three young pitchers, Jim. And he's been working with Rodon for a while now. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, you know, there's been some bumps in the road. Injuries have gotten in the way. But these are three young pitchers with talent. And I would think, I mean, look at look at the opponent they just had with Tampa Bay. I mean, Tampa Bay has really turned around Tyler Glass now, and which Pittsburgh just gave up on the kid. And then he comes to Tampa, and he's looking great. I'm looking at Glass now and be like, man, I wish Alec Hansen, because, uh, you know, this may be the ceiling for Alec Hansen. Could he be a Tyler Glass now? Uh, but when, you, when Cooper's got Rodon, and he's got Lopez, and he's got Gilito, and they're looking ugly at times, and they're not very consistent. This is what I would grade Don Cooper on. And if it was any other team, I think they'd be looking at him and be like, listen, man, you got young, talented pitchers here. They're not getting results. What's the deal? Yeah, and and Glass now, I think, is the cautionary tale with tall pitchers. So that's why with Lucas Giolito, you know, being a tall pitcher who's had uh, a few different mechanical adjustments or at least in, in delivery overhauls presented to him that he's undertaken. Uh, I think you really want to be patient with him and, and Alec Hansen too. You know, he can afford a lost year because these tall pitchers seem to have lost years, whether it's because of injury or because they just uh, have a hard time getting all the, their limbs in, 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 in sync. So I, I think that was nice to see. It wasn't nice to watch him pitch against the White Sox, but it was nice to see, uh, a reminder of why uh, sometimes patience is required, especially for pitchers of, of a certain size. But yeah, it's, um, I, I would say, yeah, it's with Rodon and, and Lopez. Yeah, Rodon, I think, would be the one that would be the bigger point. Because Lopez, when he was brought in with, by the White Sox, he was potentially a bullpen arm. I, I think scouts were split on whether he could start or whether he could, uh, whether he'd need to go to the bullpen. And I think his first year, uh, I thought it'd be, you know, signs are pointing in positive directions and that the slider got more swings and misses and the fastball showed more life and there's more confidence and mechanics and everything towards the end of the year. And it seems like that's all unraveled and hopefully it's just cold weather or something that's compromised his delivery because his command has been awful this year. But yeah, Rodon, I think is just probably, um, you know, part injuries, part not, you know, uh, yeah, there, there was the whole talk about the lack of routine and, and that, uh, you know, 
he was rushed to the majors and really didn't develop a, a routine and conditioning plan and, and was just kind of going by and talent alone. And that was, I guess, part of my hope was that when the White Sox weren't immediately trying to use their draft picks as major league fuel as fast as possible, that they would be able to, you know, stand back and develop these pitchers a little bit more and not try to, you know, patch together an approach on the fly. But, uh, you know, at the end of this year, if Lopez looks like he's taking a step back and Giolito is no closer to being a solid major league starter and Rodon is, you know, uh, whether injury gets in the way or, or whether he just uh, doesn't quite have the oomph after his shoulder surgery that, uh, you know, he looks like a question mark, then the White Sox really don't have anything uh, towards this 2020 push. And then, uh, you know, like, they really have to look at whether it's been either the players they brought Cooper or just Cooper's methods not working in modern 2019 baseball anymore. And that happens, right? It does happen. Guys get passed by because they feel too comfortable or they feel too confident in their methods because they've been successful in the past. They don't evolve. And then all of a sudden things unravel pretty darn quickly. And now you don't have any answers to some really crucial questions right now. You know, from what we're hearing from Charlotte, if in my opinion is this, if this doesn't get any better after the season, the White Sox have to go in a different direction with pitching coach. And they do have an established pitching coach in AAA. They have Steve McCaddy. And McCaddy's worked with Michael Cooper, uh, Michael Cooper, wow, Michael Kopech, Dylan Cease. He's, he's known Lucas Giolito since he was part of the Washington Nationals organization. Like, you have an internal solution that you can bring up. Young pitchers in your system are very comfortable working with him. I just think that would be an easy transition the White Sox want to go with. And again, this is going to be, you know, 150 games down the road. And maybe things could change over 150 games. We're not seeing progress ever since the White Sox started this rebuild. And they've had a lot of pitching prospects in their top 10. And right now, it doesn't look like they're getting any better. It doesn't look like they're having any luck developing bullpen arms. And I get that some of it is talent. But again, it goes back to what happened to the days when White Sox pitchers overachieved. Right. Mm -hmm. The White Sox have had success in the past. And, you know, the greatest crowning achievement, I think, with Don Cooper is Jose Quintana. It's happened and we're not seeing it. These are talent, more talented pitchers than Jose Quintana. And they're nowhere even close to putting putting up the same type of production. They have not replaced the production they've lost moving Chris Sale and Jose Quintana. And I know it was a great load that they had to replace as far as production. But it doesn't seem like they're anywhere close to doing so. And they really need to because the Cleveland Indians are still going to have Kluber and Bauer and Clevenger and Carrasco next year. You're going to need horses in order to win this division. So I think this is a storyline to follow the rest of the year. If that Renteria after 11 games is pounding on the table saying we're going to hold you guys accountable. Okay, that's fine. But you also need to be held accountable. And how do we do that, right? And I think it's, you know, continuing this conversation throughout the season and us fans and the media alike need to start pounding the table and start asking Rick Khan the tough questions during the year. Uh, if you don't see progress, why are you keeping these coaches? Mm-hmm. Now, some good news for the White Sox, and it's not all doom and gloom for the White Sox. There is uh, some brightness, if you want to call it that way. Uh, Tim Anderson, Yoan Mikata, and Eloy Jimenez. Uh, and I asked this question on Twitter, a fan poll. Are these three players enough to keep your attention this 2019 season? Because I feel very 
very near that these are the only three players are going to be worthwhile to watch during this season. And out of 900 votes, 63% said yes. Yes, Tim Anderson, Yohan Mikata, and Elo Jimenez are enough for me to continue watching the White Sox in 2019. If everything else is crappy, at least these three will have me tuning into all the games and continue to buy tickets and go to the stadium. Now, Tim Anderson's start, Jim, is ridiculous offensively, and it's been very fun. He's now hitting 19 of 37. This has got to be his best stretch in his career, which is a batting average of 514. Uh, Yohan is starting to cool off, but he's still 15 for 47 uh, with three home runs and 13 RBIs. So he's got a 319 batting average with an on-base percentage of 360 and still slugging over 600. And Elo Jimenez, yeah, he's 12 for 43, but he finally got a double. He's on the board with the extra base hits. So he's hitting 279 with a 326 on base percentage and a really low slugging at 302, but maybe this double starts picking up. What are your thoughts, Jim, especially as far as with like Tim Anderson? Like obviously he's not going to maintain a 500 batting average for the year. No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, for you, would these three be enough to keep your attention? Obviously, we have to watch the White Sox because that's our slogan. We watch the White Sox so White Sox fans don't have to. But if you were just a normal fan, do you think that these three would hold your attention for an entire year? Initially, well, I would say for an entire year, no. I would say, you know, for the course of, you know, a couple months, yeah, I think so. Uh, especially if you want to see whether, you know, or how these guys settle into a certain level. Like, you know, as you mentioned, Anderson's going to be hard-pressed to hit 500. Mankata's probably going to have some hot streaks and cold streaks, and, and it'll be, uh, I'm, not, I'm not quite sure where he'll level off yet, but he's got the talent to level off at a pretty high level. But, um, you know, that, that would be quite a huge jump from his uh, rookie season. Oh, but when it comes to, uh, you know, Jimenez and, 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 you know, those three, it just, you know, we're watching the run prevention right now and we're watching just how awful they look when they're not at the plates and how awful some things look when they are at the plate. And no, that, I think that just wears on you. And I, and I think the, just the early deficits and uh, watching Jimenez hit and then having to wait two or three innings to see him hit again, I think that'll get old pretty quickly. So I don't expect fan interest to be sustained very long if nobody else improves. And I think, uh, it will take just, you know, and it doesn't take like, you know, massive improvement and, and somebody like Rodon or, or Giolito or Lopez filling in the Michael Kopech excitement gap that, uh, you know, created this year because Kopech had Tommy John surgery, but just adequacy, uh, average play from, you know, a handful of other guys, you know, a few pitchers here, uh, a few relievers there, um, you know, maybe whether it's Yomer Sanchez or, uh, Daniel Palka or somebody else holding down a roster spot that's not maybe a long-term solution. Just average players to prop up those, you know, guys who you hope are fixtures or cornerstones or superstars or what have you. I think that's what makes the White Sox watchable. I think when it comes to, you know, if, if it's just those three guys, you can uh, either record the game and just watch the at-bats if you look at the box score and see something good happened or, you know, watch an MLB TV skipping innings. Uh, but when it comes to full season, full season excitement when the run prevention is this bad, uh, I don't see them being that entertaining for that long to make up for everything else going wrong. Maybe the MLB.TV app and NBC Sports Chicago app just needs to create a notification that when these guys are at the plate, 
then you can tune in. Yeah. And then you can tune out and go back to whatever you were doing. Uh, so you're saying, Jim, that if I ask this question again in two months, in mid-June, do you think that the results from all White Sox fans would be different? Uh, I guess, um, you know, there are two ways to look at it. One, if they're answering, um, you know, honestly, uh, you know, the way they, uh, um, you know, would like it to sound rather than what it actually is, then I think the the, the answer might be, uh, you know, more yeses than are actually happening. Kind of like with the the whole thing of marketing and everybody likes their coffee to be, you know, bold and r- robust and everything like that. And then it turns out that they like their coffee watered down and loaded with coffee and sugar and everything like that. But they, they think coffee is supposed to be like that. So they say that. So maybe with the White Sox, you know, maybe there will be this instinct for White Sox fans to be good fans and say, uh, this is a team I want to watch. And these are the guys who are only fun worth watching. So I'll say that, you know, it's, I'll be tuning in every day because of these guys. But I think, you know, when summer rolls along and you have a bunch of other fun outdoor things to do and, you know, and, and should there, they have no help from the rest of the roster, then, yeah, I think it would fade. I think it's going to need, they're going to need some reinforcements in order to maintain excitement because it's baseball. You know, it's not like basketball where they can just keep putting the ball in these guys' hands. You know, they, they, they come up to plate once every two to three innings and they, uh, you know, and they get only so many chances in the field. And then then the rest of it is on the shoulders of far less interesting players. And I think that just pretty much gets old after uh, a little bit. And and, uh, yeah, I hope that they're able to be that fascinating to where they're must see TV. But I think when they level off and are having, I, I hope they're having good seasons, but what a good season would be for them at this point in their careers, isn't enough to sustain an entire team's worth of interest. And with, HD streams now available in the minor league baseball app. If they ever update it and fix it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. For those that have the package, we'll probably be paying attention more, more attention to Charlotte and Winston-Salem and Birmingham uh, than to Chicago. So we'll see. I'll ask that question again in mid June. So if you didn't get a chance to vote in the poll again, you can follow me on Twitter at socks machine underscore Josh. All right. So let's move ahead with the week as the white Sox head to New York to face the New York Yankees. But before previewing that series, a quick word from our sponsor, SeatGeek. The ticket industry hasn't changed in a long time. There are a bunch of big companies who have been around forever but don't really care about making the experience easier for the customer. Well, SeatGeek is a ticket company where the customer comes first. With more than 50,000 five-star reviews in the App Store, SeatGeek is focused on making your experience as easy as possible. SeatGeek pulls in millions of tickets from all over the web. They rate each one on a scale of 1 to 10, and they display them on an interactive seat map so it's simple to find what you're looking for. Green dots are the good deals. Red dots stay away. They're overpriced. Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed so you can shop for tickets with confidence. And I use SeatGeek all of the time, especially for White Sox tickets. I found it to be the easiest way to shop for tickets, and especially with stadiums going paperless. In SeatGeek, when you buy your tickets, you get the QR code, so it's really easy access into the stadium. They just scan your phone and you're in. If you want to use SeatGeek for White Sox games next week against the Royals when the White Sox are back in town, on Monday, it's $8. Tuesday, $5. Wednesday, $7. You cannot beat those prices to go to a White Sox game. I've been seeing a lot of people on Twitter thanking us for the promo code, getting some awesome deals on seats behind home plate for the White Sox this past weekend. And if you want to take advantage of the deal, 
Best of all, the listeners get $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. All you got to do is just use promo code SOCKSMACHINE. That's promo code SOCKSMACHINE for $10 off your first purchase. You can use that for concert tickets, sports tickets, comedy, whatever you want. You don't have to use it for White Sox tickets. Any type of ticket that you want to use, you could use our promo code for. So again, remember, that's promo code SOCKSMACHINE for $10 off on your first purchase on SeatGeek. And yes, the Chicago White Sox now head to the Bronx to face the New York Yankees, which at the time uh, that we are streaming this live on Mixer.com, they're in a tight battle with the Houston Astros. That's been a very fun series to watch. And the series starts on Friday. This is a 6.05 p.m. Central Time start. This game will be on WGN television. Uh, It's to be determined for the New York Yankees on the pitching side, but it'll be Lucas Giolito on the mound for the White Sox Saturday. 12.05 12.05 p.m. Central Time. Remember the early start. This is going to be on NBC Sports Chicago. It will be Ivan Nova against CC Sabathia. And then on Sunday at 12.05 p.m. Central Time, it is Carlos Rodon against To Be Determined for the Yankees as they are dealing with some injuries to the starting pitching front. Uh, and for the Yankees, Jim, that's been the alarming thing. I mean, they're kind of slow out of the gate. Before the game against Houston, they are 5-6 and six. On the season, they've had so many injuries, though, Jim, so many injuries. And it's it's still unknown on how long they're going to be out with Luis Severino, their ace of their pitching staff. Uh, so the White Sox are not facing a 100 percent healthy New York Yankees team. Do you think that matters? Do you think that the White Sox have any chance after what we've seen the last five games stealing a game out of the Bronx? Well, they've had a hard time in Yankee Stadium, but when it comes to the White Sox, it just there's. And we've seen this in previous years. There's never really a great time for the White Sox to play anybody. It's more a matter of the you know teams using the White Sox to get better. And I think the Yankees, you know, ordinarily, uh, yes, this would be a great time because they're getting uh, spanked by the Astros right now. That might be a sweep. Uh, they've uh, they've really won. And I'm looking at their their uh, schedule here. They've won one series so far, and it was against the Orioles. And they also lost a series to to Baltimore. They lost a series to Detroit. They're losing the series to Houston. So you mentioned all the injuries, and and on both sides of of the ball, pitching staff and lineup. You know, this would be the best time to catch them, but uh, this is really a good time to catch the White Sox right now. So I think you can kind of uh, toss that out of the equation, and uh, you know, it's more a matter of can the White Sox throw strikes, especially like in case of, you know, early on, I guess, good strikes and not getting these early holes. I would love to see the White Sox just get out to a start where they're not trailing three, nothing after two innings. Uh, I think that's been the biggest thing. And then you just get in the situation where you have to play catch up and then the bullpen has to be spotless and the bullpen isn't spotless. So uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be tough for the White Sox to feel good about anybody until they get a decent start out of anybody. And Hopefully it's the case, you know, the, so, the random chance says they should be able to get one and, and the White Sox should be able to spring a lead on the Yankees at some point. But uh, based on the way they played there before and the way the season is working out, I, it, you know, it's hard to say it will until they actually show it. Yeah, the White Sox don't win this series. We're talking about a 4-10 or, or a 3-11 White Sox team on the next Sox Machine podcast on Monday, Jim. Yeah, and they would deserve it. <laughs> it's, uh, uh, you know, they're playing poorly, and it was a poorly constructed roster. So I, I guess the good news is Ryan Cordell hit for the cycle tonight. Um, so if you're Woo! looking for somebody to, you know, play center field who isn't Adam Angle, 
there may actually be a solution this year if you just want to see somebody different. Yeah, Ryan Cordell. He, you know, he looked good in his six at bats with the White Sox before being sent down. Uh, but to come full circle, I think the White Sox, if they're going to be again going to be holding players accountable, we're going to see a lot of players shuffle back and forth between Charlotte and Chicago. But it, it needs to start happening to some players that like Daniel Polka. Jace Fry, like it needs to be those types of names, not the fringe guys that were lucky to make the 25-man roster. It's it's about time the White Sox start playing the 25 best guys on their roster instead of giving longer leashes to guys, hoping and praying that they can become bigger, more than they really are as a player. Uh, so we'll see on how the White Sox will keep themselves accountable uh, after this weekend and throughout the season. The uh, good news is, I guess, after this weekend, the next 16 games are against the Royals, Tigers, and Orioles. So we want to say the competition would get easier for the White Sox. Uh, but <laughs> if they don't play well in those 16 games, uh, we could be looking at another 100-loss season for the White Sox in 2019. And on that note, I'm sorry this was a little bit of a dour of an episode, but that's how things are going with the White Sox. And that will conclude this edition of Sox Machine Live. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you just discovered the podcast, you can subscribe to our show a variety of ways. iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and audioboom.com slash Sox Machine. Jim and I will be back again for you guys on Monday with the Sox Machine podcast. If you have questions or topics you want us to tackle, definitely start sending those questions to us at Sox Machine on Twitter for P.O. Sox. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Check out our amazing offers on Xfinity Internet. You'll get fast speed and Wi-Fi coverage you can count on. Plus, get advanced security free with the XFi Gateway, so you can keep the connected devices in your home protected from network threats. Just log in and activate through the Xfinity app. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.